Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, national columnist for NBC Sports. With me as always, Michael Shore, executive uh, producer for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and many other things. Michael, Happy New Year. As always, Joe. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year, yeah. <laughs> That's good. I didn't want to uh, like pervert the traditional greeting <laughs> of thank you for having me by adding anything else. But yeah, now now that that's over, Happy New Year and Happy Holidays. It's it's great. This is uh, 2016. The, both of us have, have already made reference to this ridiculous check thing that, that is supposedly the new thing with, you know, every time there's a new year, you write the wrong date on the check, that whole, yes. that whole nonsense. Yeah. And... Nobody writes checks anymore. No, it's a it's a joke form that I happily engage in every year because I I like to try to find new jokes around that template. But yeah, nobody writes checks at all. So it's like it's like a the way that if you watch stand up comedy from the early nineties, none of the things that people are talking about make any sense because it's all like completely outdated technology. Uh, but it's still I you know it is a fun joke template. And, uh, and I, I like to try to figure one or two of them out every year just for fun. That's yeah, what Twitter, it's like the essence of what Twitter is good for. Because Twitter is about making jokes that are totally pointless and irrelevant that you don't care about and that no one else cares about. You know, you mentioned the old template. I actually literally just wrote a piece about this. Um, so, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, when he did his last um, Letterman appearance, he did the bit that he had done on his first Letterman appearance. Um, he did the exact same bit, which I thought I right. thought was very cool, like the in concept, but it it just went to show. I don't know how he ever became famous because it was so <laughs> that bit was so bad. It was so, and he didn't he 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 like you know now he's obviously one of the great performers and all of that, so he was able to polish it up enough to kind of make it make it you know work and and people laughed and all that, but. The material itself, and and I don't know if that's just because he, he he didn't know what he was doing back then, or if everything like pre nineteen ninety five just isn't funny anymore. Yeah, well, comedy has a has an expiration date. It all does. And anytime I used to get into this argument with all of the younger writers on Parks and Recreation, which was the the prevailing thought among the younger writers was that nothing before about nineteen ninety eight was funny or held up. And I would say, what about Annie Hall? And they would say, it's not funny. <laughs> and you kind of can't argue with people who just say it's not funny. There's nothing you can do. Um, and I don't take that position. But almost all comedy, if, if not all comedy, gets very old very quickly just because the mood of the country changes and the things that people find funny change. And because comedy is meant to be experienced mostly once because the essential element of comedy is surprise. So once you're not surprised anymore, a good deal of the of the enjoyment that you take from it ends up being sort of nostalgia instead of actual, you know, tickling your funny bone or whatever. But, um, you know, Seinfeld's observations were so incredibly, you know, insightful and brilliant, but then you've heard them. So then when you hear them again, it's sort of like, yeah, I, I remember you saying that 30 years that's ago. The, yeah. But yeah. That's as good as you can get. It's like, I, yes, I remember you saying that. I, that is basically, by the way, as, as depressing a thought I've heard is that there are young comedy writers that don't think Annie Hall is funny. That, that, that is depressing to me. Oh my, you, you wouldn't believe it. Like you wouldn't believe how unfunny they think the things that we think are funny are. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what happens, right? We're, we're getting, yeah, we're, that's we're getting old. So, uh, this is this is uh, I'm, we're doing our podcast uh, 
early in 2016, which I think portends for a, a great podcasting year. Uh, and we're trying to do it for, for the timing of it. Uh, our faux argument, we're going to build entirely around the Baseball Hall of Fame induction. We are doing this uh, two days before the uh, election uh, is, is going to be announced. All the votes are in. Uh, and we're just going to run through the ballot. That's going to be our faux argument. And... Uh, and then we'll do our draft. So, if if that makes sense to you, are you are you on board? Are we ready? I'm I'm ready, and I, and I think for this special long form edition, we gotta kill the fifteen minute clock or the ten minute clock, whatever it's. I don't I don't even remember what it's supposed <laughs> to be, but we should kill the clock, right? Because it's gonna take. Yeah, I, I think people need to settle in. Let's just be honest, and and uh, and that's I think that's okay though. I I think I think that's still gonna work. So. Uh, but we'll just run through the ones that we have nothing to say about. We have nothing to say about it. Just a yay or nay vote. Uh, and sure. we're going alphabetically. So we're going to start right off with Garrett Anderson. And, and I'm going to just tell you, I have nothing to say about Garrett Anderson. So nay. Well, I say easy first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Garrett Anderson was a very good hitter. Uh, yeah, like looking at his stats, he was a very good hitter. He had never walked or anything, but. He was he was a, he was a very solid major league. Oh, he player, was he was he was a very good look. Yeah. Nobody on the ballot who's not a really good player. And Garrett Anderson, by the way, hit two hundred and eighty-seven major league home runs. And I and yeah. I and I was wrong in that moment to just dismiss him. I mean, he's he's clearly not a Hall of Famer, but two hundred and eighty-seven major league home runs is you know even in in that crazy era where where, where home runs are flying out left and right. It's a, it's a spectacular career, 287 career yeah. home runs. He also, by the way, I like that we're already like a minute deep. In <laughs> oh, Garrett, Garrett Anderson. Anderson. <laughs> you began by saying that you had nothing to say about him. But uh, he also, uh, you know, he played uh, for the Angels a lot. And he and so I saw him play a fair amount. He had this, he was one of those athletes who had this kind of um, incredibly kind of calm and sort of deliberate manner. He never looked like he smiled or got upset. He was very smooth, almost sort of lackadaisical in his playing style. He never had an expression on his face of any kind. He was like a weird baseball robot. Yeah. And I always remember fearing him a little for that reason because it felt like nothing would shake him. Like he he could come up in a, a very tense situation and he'd be exactly the same amount of calm and poised as any as he ever would be. And, and I would say he does fit in to that professional hitter category which is so awesome yeah. the harold baines chili davis kind of just go out there and just you know hit i, I he, he definitely fits into that category yeah. all right garrett anderson you got plenty of time um let's go brad osmus is next and um brad osmus great defensive catcher couldn't hit a lick um that obviously not a hall of famer no, um, although I like that he has a last name that looks like while you were typing his name, you fell asleep and your head hit the keyboard. That's what that's what his last name looks like to me. That's that's awesome. All right, so not not worthy of a vote. No, no, so. not not going to get the vote. All right, next one. Now we go. Now we're starting to get into some some real names. Uh, Jeff Bagwell, um, and I'll I'll go first. Uh, to me, a, a definite. No doubt Hall of Famer, one of the five best first basemen in baseball history, and kind of shameful that he's not been elected already. Yeah, it, there's no real reason to keep him out. And the reason that he's not getting more votes is because people think he might have used steroids. And, you know, a lot of the questions on the ballot are about how you feel about steroid use. 
But however you feel about steroid use, if the person was never even really accused of using steroids in any real way, I don't understand how you don't vote for this guy. He's, his numbers are ridiculous. He was, you know, in the strike year in 94, he was having what was shaping up to be one of the great offensive years of all time. He had a 213 OPS plus which means he was more than twice as good as the average player that year, which is absurd. Yeah, there's no reason to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. It's, it's a weird and unpleasant um, stain on, on the process that Jeff Bagwell is not already in the Hall of Fame and really hasn't come close, right? He's not really... Has he come close? I don't... I, not, I mean, it depends what you mean by close. He's been right around the 50-55 mark uh, percentage. Uh, yeah. Supposedly from early returns is doing way better this year. But I think this probably gets to the point that we'll be coming back to again and again uh, as we go through this thing, which is the idea of should uh, steroid, you know, people who, who were great players but used uh, PEDs, should they be in the Hall of Fame? Should we should people be making a distinct effort to keep them out of the Hall of Fame? Obviously, uh, Jeff Bagwell has never been really charged with using steroids other than other than with whispers that are, are unanswerable. So he doesn't really fit specifically to that category, but he is an after effect of people trying to keep steroid players out of the Hall of Fame from an era where nobody tested for steroids. And, and I, you know, that I have a strong opinion that the best players should go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, other people disagree strongly, but I think everybody should agree that the effect that this has had on a guy like Jeff Bagwell is uh, it doesn't it doesn't make anybody look good. No, it really doesn't, and he should go in, and I hope he goes in this year. I hope so, too. I don't think he will. I think it'll be close, though. Um, Barry Bonds is specifically the uh, the steroid question. I, of course, think he should belong in the Hall of Fame. We both agree he's one of the greatest players in baseball history. Um, you know, we, we can discuss the steroid thing left and right, left and right. Everybody has their own opinion already on it. To me, the best players should go in the Hall of Fame. You, you mark their their legacy on the ballot uh on the on the plaque uh but the best players should be in the hall of fame and the hall of fame is lesser for not having the best players in it in my opinion barry bonds one of the great players of all time should be in the hall of fame yeah i here's where i come down on this now like i i agree with you i think the baseball hall of fame is a museum that celebrates the history of baseball and you can't tell the history of baseball without barry bonds and i don't think it's the same thing as Pete Rose, although I also kind of think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. But but with Pete Rose, at least, there was a posted rule in every clubhouse that says, hey, you can't do this one thing. This is, it's a, Baseball was essentially like a lawless society that had one rule, and he broke that one rule. And if you want to be a rule follower, as I am a rule follower, as I've said before, then it's, it's a little harder for me to justify Pete Rose, although I think that, that, you know, that it's, it's debatable at this point. Nonetheless, in, in terms of PEDs, like they really, they they barely had rules and they barely tested. And the Hall of Fame, yes, technically has this like character um, uh, uh, clause in it that technically means that you cannot vote for someone based on his or her character. But you know, Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb, right? right. <laughs> Ty, Ty Cobb was the worst dude in the world. He was a horrifying, miserable racist and a, just an all-around terrible human being, and no one ever questioned whether Ty Cobb should go in. So I just don't think you can, you can keep these guys out. Um, and also, the, the last thing to say, and this is a sort of umbrella argument for a lot of these guys, 
is like everyone knows now, right? Like everyone knows about Barry Bonds and everybody knows about Roger Clemens, who we'll talk about in a second. Everyone knows about them. So it's, it's okay. You can put them into a museum that celebrates the history of baseball and you don't have to worry that people, I mean, they've, they've, they've been punished to a certain degree because their reputations are in the toilet and because everyone for the rest of time will talk about how they maybe probably definitely use PEDs. So it's okay. Like, it's okay now. You, the, the weird sort of moral arbiter thing is a completely recent development for the Hall of Fame because there are tons of people in the Hall of Fame who are awful, awful, awful people who did far worse things than take the cream and the clear. Um, and, you know, Barry, there's, there's obviously no argument other than that to keep Barry Bonds out. I was trying to find one statistic about Barry Bonds that I hadn't thought of yet. And here's my, here's, I found it, and here's my favorite one. So you're, you're familiar with a baseball player named Ichiro, correct? You know about Ichiro? Yeah. I've heard of Ichiro. Ichiro play, has played in, in baseball, in professional Major League Baseball in America for 15 years. Barry Bonds had more intentional walks, 688, than Ichiro has walks, 596, in the 15 years Ichiro's played. So there's, no, there's obviously no statistical argument to keep him out. In fact, by statistical arguments, he's the greatest a baseball player of all time, um, all told. So I think a little bit enough is enough. You made your point, uh, moral panic, uh, arbiters of, of truth and justice. Like the, let's, let's make the museum into a place where people can, um, go see and read about the greatest players of all time. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, the, the, the other Barry Bonds argument, uh, st- statistics specific to, uh, intentional walks is that in 2004, I guess, uh, walked uh, intentionally walked 120 times. Uh, only eight or nine Hall of Famers have walked 120 times. 20 times in a season period, not intentional walks in a season period. Yeah. Um, the one other thing I would say about Barry Bonds is, and and Clemens, and and in general, the, this general thing is this this sense that that steroid users cheated the game in a way that had had never been cheated before, which is really where it all comes down to is is there's a hypocrisy to that because there is no doubt that there is a steroid user in the Hall of Fame. There are more than one steroid user in the Hall of Fame. We don't sure. know who it is and we don't want to know who it is and and it would it would ruin a lot of things you know our memory of that player and all of that. But there's no question about it. I mean, Mickey Mantle, we know you steroid. I mean, he, he was injected with steroids in 61. It didn't help him, which apparently that's, you know, it, it's not just using steroids. It's actually allowing it to help you is, is the, is the key ingredient, but there are players. There is no doubt about it. In the seventies and eighties who use steroids at some point in their careers. And we don't want to know, we don't need to know, but, but this idea that these guys cheated the game in a way that is new and, and unique and different from, from the players of the past is it's not only just mythical, it's to me, it's, it's hypocrisy. And, and that, that's the part that really bothers me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And then not just steroids too, right? Amphetamines. Oh, absolutely. Amphetamines. I, I think the only argument you could make on a character level at this point about Barry Bonds to keep him out was that press conference he had where he dragged his son in front of the camera and said, think of what you're doing to my family. I, that, that enraged me far more than the idea. Like he you literally used his son as like a human shield to keep the media from trying to report on what was going on. That was so much more abhorrent to me 
than like using a, a, a forehead enlarging uh, cream in order to to become a better baseball player. But, but but isn't that always the case? It's always the case. I mean, you know, th- was anybody really upset that a cyclist used, uh, you know, various performance-enhancing drugs to win the Tour de France? I mean, was there any sense that there were other clean bikers that were getting robbed? Nobody cared. It was It's how you act about it that yeah. seems to have the biggest role. And, and it's why some people who are connected with steroids or with various drugs seem to skate in ways that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, who are very unlikable characters, yeah. uh, that they, they've hurt themselves on that front. So... Anyway, we're both Barry Bonds saying yes, so we're, we're, we both have two votes in. Um, your third vote, I know, is going to go to Luis Castillo. Uh, I'm right. going gonna to hold back on him. Although, fantastic player, especially for a stretch of time there where he was stealing all the bases and getting on base and terrific leadoff hitter, terrific second baseman. Very, very good player, Luis Castillo. Yeah, very good. Um, not quite, I would say, Hall of Fame worthy, although he was a member of the 2003 2003- Marlins who beat the Yankees so for that he will have forever have my gratitude <laughs> I'd be interested well at some point we're going to find out who is in the Michael Schur Hall of Fame which is a complete <laughs> completely separate thing because I, I know the, it's the it's the entire rosters of any team that beat the Yankees in any playoff series that would be my I'm thinking my... first ballot Hall of Famer for you is Josh Beckett for for so many reasons. Oh, for so many reasons. Yeah, <laughs> Luis Gonzalez and Josh Beckett are the first two in for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next guy is uh, Roger Clemens, who I'm, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of personal thoughts about. I, I will only say this about Roger Clemens. Uh, obviously, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think that if you if you're making arguments for the best pitcher of all time, there are probably five or six players who you can make a very very strong argument for. Maybe ten. If you want to like start including some of the short, the guys who were great for a short period of time, like Pedro or Sandy Koufax. But if you're talking over a whole career, there are five or six guys I think you can make an argument for. To me, Roger Clemens was the best of that group. Um, I think Roger Clemens was the greatest pitcher of all time. Yeah, you may be right. I mean, all things considered, um, you know, the the era in which he played, which was extremely offensive in nature. Um, the longevity is, of his career, which again, maybe people would argue against that because they think his career was artificially lengthened or something. Um, but if you go back to the beginning of his career in, in Boston, his numbers in Boston were insane. And, 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 you know, those teams stunk, a lot of them. <laughs> you know, the 86 team obviously was, was great. But a lot of those like late 80s, early 90 teams were just terrible. And he... You know, he struck out 20 guys in a game twice, and the second time he did it was in 96. And, you know, if you go back and look at his 90, he led the league in strikeouts. Oh, yeah. Six. Like, and, you know, he was 10 and 13, and everyone's like, oh, they, it was a down year. He was so good. I mean, he, he wasn't his certainly his best year by any stretch, but he was really good. And he had a bunch of years in the early 90s where his, his whip was basically like what Mariano Rivera's whip was every year, except that he was throwing – 230, 250, 270 innings in 91. He threw 270 innings with a 1.04 whip. Like he was just a dominant pitcher uh, in so many ways uh, for so long. And again, like if you don't think that PED users should be in the Hall of Fame, then you're going to vote no for Roger Clemens. But uh, it's it's silly. It's again, it's silly to try to tell the 
history of baseball without Roger Clemens. There's one argument against him, exactly one, um, outside of the PED thing, if you care about that. The one argument against him would be Susan Waldman's reaction to him when he showed up in George Steinbrenner's box on like that July 4th game or whatever, when he was coming out of retirement to pitch to the Yankees. If you've never heard it, Google Susan Waldman. It's S-U-Z-Y-N. Uh, Google Susan Waldman reaction, Roger Clemens. And it's very hard when you hear it not to personally hold it against Roger Clemens <laughs> because it's, it was one of the worst things that's ever happened in the history of sports was Susan Waldman's on-air reaction to Roger Clemens showing up in George Steinbrenner's box. Well, it's funny because I think there's one, there is, there is one very strong argument against Clemens, uh, and it relates to him throwing the bat at Mike Piazza during the World Series. No, absolutely. There's two. There's two. There's two reasons. That is the second one. Well, it, and, and to me, it's, it's, it's the it's him claiming that he thought it was the ball. There right? you go. I, That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that to me is the lamest thing any human has ever said ever. Just and especially if you're going to throw a broken, sharp-ended bat at somebody, fess up. Just just say yeah, yeah. You, I, I was trying to intimidate him. I mean, just. I thought it was the ball. I oh actually, my. I don't think he was trying to intimidate him. I think he was just so, he was such a competitive person. Like to a fault, he was a competitive person. And I think he was so like just juiced up. Yeah. It's probably a bad metaphor. He was probably just so riled up in that moment, which is such a high pressure thing. And he had been to Piazza and the whole crowd was going crazy when he came up in the series. And I think a thing came at him and he picked up the thing and he threw the thing. Like, I don't, I think he was, his reptilian brain had taken over at that point. The, and I don't, so I don't, I honestly don't think he was like trying to hurt Piazza. I no, think he no. just like grabbed it and chucked it. But to say I thought it was the ball is offensive for so many reasons. And the number one reason is if you thought it was the ball, why didn't you throw it to first base? Why did you throw it weirdly towards your own dugout? There's no reason you would ever throw a ball the way that he threw it. So I think I and again I don't think he was in control of his faculties. I think he was in a competitive fog that was just like his heart was pounding, his like his his brain was completely shut down and all he was focused on was the the competition of that moment and he just said I thought it was the ball and was like now I no great now I got to stick with that. <laughs> As his defense. Well, I, I think I think it, it could cost him uh, Hall of Fame votes and should. Um, but but the other the other element of it is you're 100 percent right, because how can anybody like remember Roger Clemens without thinking of those that awesome close up of him during the World Series shouting at the umpire like that, just like with his face is just twisted with rage and that that person is the kind of person that would throw a bat uh, at somebody yeah. and and then say it was the ball. That's just yeah. who he was. The best part of that whole thing, by the way, was Piazza's reaction because Piazza hit a foul ball and was sort of slowly running towards first, but is looking around, if I remember correctly, looking around trying to find where the ball is. And all of a sudden, a deadly weapon <laughs> hurled at him. And he looks over at Clemens like, what are you doing? Like, what is happening? It's like, and it was like the crazy thing about that whole situation was Piazza was the aggrieved party. He's the one who had gotten Dean. It wasn't like Piazza and Clemens got into a fight and Piazza soccer punched him. Piazza was the guy who was the aggrieved party. And he then – so then when that happened, he looked at Clemens like, wait, why is this – why is the second thing happening to me? 
that was one of the weirdest moments in 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 Major League Baseball history. I think it, it really was. It really was. So other than that, though, he still goes to the Hall of Fame. All right. Uh, we're probably going to spend way too long on David Eckstein. Um, <laughs> I just want to say this about David Eckstein. Well, I want to say two things about him. One is there was about a two-year period of time uh, where David Eckstein was really, really a good baseball player. Uh, against all odds, against all logic, um, he was a really, really good baseball player. And I give him so much credit for that because he was he was given nothing. He was given no baseball skills at all, talent, uh, no God-given ability. He absolutely carved himself into a good Major League Baseball player, and I, I have tremendous, tremendous respect for that. Uh, however, the second thing I want to say is it was there's never to me been a funnier thing than watching David Eckstein throw the ball across the infield after feeling the ground ball. It was honestly like watching your little brother. Like I, can, I know I can get it to first base. It was, it was frightening how hard it was for him to throw the ball across an infield. Um, but, but again, but that speaks to the guy played years and years and was very good for a period of time in the major leagues. And and it's not his fault that he he became sort of the essence of grit and and all of the other things that happened to him. Uh, although earning him an, a, a tremendous uh, spot in uh, in Parks and Recreation, but it's not his fault that that's sort of what built around him. But uh, it should be said he was a really really good player. Yeah, I mean I've written enough about David Eckstein in my life to, <laughs> for it to qualify as a doctoral thesis. Like I think I could actually have a PhD in David Eckstein, David based, Eckstein. On, based on how much research and writing I've done about the subject. But I completely agree with you. He was a small, translucent man, <laughs> had no business being a professional athlete. And not only was he a professional athlete, he played for 10 years and made like 20 million bucks and earned it and had a couple of years where he, uh, where he had, you know, 180 hits. And he was a World Series MVP, partially because he hit a lazy fly ball that Curtis Granderson <laughs> fell down and misplayed into a double. But it doesn't matter. He was played in the World Series many times. And, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he's, he should be celebrated for his, uh, for his accomplishments without question. My favorite thing about him is in his 10-year career, he led the league uh, in two categories twice each. Those categories were hit by pitch in his first two years and sacrifice bunts in his first two years. And that's sort of, that's, that's like what you do when you're a small translucent man who wants to become a professional athlete, right? You maximize your ability to get hit by, get hit by the ball and to uh, bunt guys over and collect high fives in the dugout for moving a runner from first to second. And he did that and he did it well. And he made two all-star teams and he was fourth in the rookie of the year balloting. And uh, and he played in a bunch of World Series, and he has a bunch of shiny trophies, and was rated the most underrated baseball player for like 31 consecutive years. Even now, <laughs> even six years after he's retired, he still every year wins the you know gets the most out of his abilities award from his peers. <laughs> but uh, good, great career, man. Good, good job. Good, good career. Good career. career. Yeah. You know, in 2002, he scored 107 runs, had a 360 on base percentage, stole mm -hmm. 21 bases, did get caught 13 times. But uh, that's a good year. That's a very, very good season. And he was he was a good 
uh, defensive shortstop, despite the fact that I have a stronger arm than him. I mean, that is, <laughs> it's amazing. I, I used to love watching him just warm up because he would just be throw. I mean, it was, it was just as hard for him in warm ups to throw the ball across the infield as it was, you know, yeah. I, I, I if there's a Hall of Fame for translucent men, he, yeah. he, he would definitely be in it. I agree. All right. Perfect. Next guy, uh, Jim Edmonds. Uh, very, that, to, to me, Jim Edmonds is this year's Hall of Fame line. It's like, if, I, don't think, uh, I don't think, I don't think Jim Edmonds was a Hall of Famer, but I think anybody that was better than Jim Edmonds is a Hall of Famer. So I think he's right on the line. His problem was it was a short career. Uh, he couldn't stay healthy. Uh, but for 10 years or so, uh, he was a fantastic player, great fielder, power, uh, got on base, did everything well. Tremendous, tremendous player. Kind of a poor man's Larry Walker for me. So I got him on the line, but I vote no for Jim Edmonds. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. He's the definition of a of like the borderline player i also vote no i will say that and this is not a vote for the hall of fame or something you should take into consideration but in 2004 when the red sox finally made the world series uh the guy that we all feared as fans in that lineup wasn't Pujols; it was jim edmonds sure. jim edmonds because every red sox starter was right-handed and jim edmonds utterly annihilated <laughs> right-handed pitching i mean he annihilated everybody that was his best year probably uh, he had a thousand OPS and and um, you know he hit 38 home runs and he was just a, or 42 home runs. Sorry, um, he was a, he was a machine. He also is the author. Again, this is not an argument, but he's the author of what I think is the greatest outfield catch yes. in history when he was in Anaheim. The one where he's running straight backwards and then Supermans it directly toward the fence somehow and catches that ball. That's the greatest catch I've ever seen. That's get- that's a bit. It's a better catch than any home run robbing. Like it really was like the amount of the amount of athletic ability that that catch required is was was unparalleled. I yeah. can say. So he's a great. He was a great fielder. He was a great hitter. He was a great baseball player. It's just like it's when you just take the whole thing into consideration. It's like it's just barely not enough. And I can't. It's almost like a gut feeling or something, which is a terrible thing to say for a person who's interested in analytics, but. It's, it just doesn't quite – he doesn't quite get there, and it makes me sad because he was such a great player. He was a great player. That was – that catch again, by the way, was uh, against Kansas City. Uh, so I right. saw that catch. And, and uh, like the next day already in the paper, uh, it was being called the greatest catch ever. I mean, that's – it was it was instant. You knew how great a catch that was. Um, yeah, I, I think honestly, I, for me, it's – I mean, there's a little bit of gut that always goes in. You can't really prevent it from being a part of it. But for me, it really is the length of his career. It just, it just wasn't quite long enough. And, and uh, you know, maybe that's not fair. Maybe, you know, I, I've long thought that the hall of fame, maybe it should be just your, your eight, <clears throat> eight to 10 best, you know, years, forget everything else, because what difference does it make? You know I mean? If you're a mediocre player for another five years at the end of your career, that's great. But does that really add to your hall of fame, you know, uh, resume. So I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think his career is just a little short. Um, and, uh, but, but an amazing player. And by the way, if somebody uh, votes him for the hall of fame, I think that's a good vote. I, I think that's yeah. he's right on the borderline. I, I will also say that he is a, what a, a prime candidate for veterans committee. Don't you think? Oh I yeah. Like, I feel like in 20 years, 
he'll, he probably won't make it in 20 years. A bunch of veterans will get together and say, look at that catch and tell me that guy doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that, I will say this. That catch was so good that you know he was a great outfielder based entirely on that one right. catch. No and one, th- no like one other, not a great outfielder can make that catch. That's totally right. Right. Other great catches or, or famous catches, you watch him and you're like, all right, well, that was a really good catch, but that doesn't mean that he was a good outfielder. He might've just, you know, gotten lucky. The ball happened to, you know, he, he, he timed a leap very well. Remember the Kevin Mitchell barehanded catch, that sure. weird thing, you know, this one was, it so displayed his athleticism, his instinct for the ball, that you watch that play and you're like, that guy is an absolute sensational outfielder. Just one yeah. play. That catch is the opposite of the Jose Canseco <laughs> running back and the ball hitting him on the head and bouncing over the the wall. That's the the exact opposite. Like the universe created two two opposites, and those were the the opposites. You watch that Jose Canseco play and you're like, that's a terrible outfielder. There's no that wasn't bad luck. That was a terrible, terrible outfielder at work. Yeah. Nomar, you're, you, I'm going to just let you talk about Nomar. Nomar, to me, the career was too short. Otherwise, he is he he played at a Hall of Fame level for me for five or six years. Uh, it's just not quite long enough. But uh, I've looked at Nomar and Jeff Kent, who are both on this year's ballot. And to me, uh, if I was, I'm not, I, I didn't vote for either. But if I was going to vote for one, I think I'd vote for Nomar because I think Nomar's height was so high, uh, but it just wasn't long enough. Yeah, sadly, I agree. He his problem was also not being able to stay healthy. Really, I mean, right. he didn't play a full season after he was twenty nine years old, um, it, which is such a bummer. Because if you look at his numbers through age twenty six, like his first four really full seasons, it's like not only is this guy going to be a Hall of Famer, he's going to go down in history as the greatest shortstop of all time. Yeah, um, and the, and you know, it wasn't quite the same level but if you go you know he missed most of his age 27 year but then in 28 29 he had big bounce back years he had 56 doubles when he was 28 he had you know high 800 OPSs um albeit in a you know a high offensive year but then he just couldn't stay healthy he had Achilles problems he tore a quad a pec of this or that you know he's got he, he was hit on the wrist by Al Reyes in 99 and tore a sheath in his tendon in his wrist and was like you know he came back the next year and had a great year but he just was he was both unlucky and also just had fitness problems. And it's a real sadness because he was he was gearing up to have one of the truly great careers. Now, the other thing to say about him, not to get too deep into like the specifics here, but he had a he never walked. Um, or he rarely walked. He didn't walk nearly enough. And because of that, it was sort of like when his, you know, when his wrists slow down, when his reflexes slow down, it was unclear whether he was gonna be able to sustain um you know, the, the level of hitting uh, that he had enjoyed through age 26 because he just, he would, he was very impatient. He was famously swung at the first pitch all the time, which was sometimes kind of frustrating. But as long as he was hitting, it didn't matter. So who knows what would have happened if he had stayed healthy, but he just didn't stay healthy long enough. And, um, he, you know, I, I'll have my Red Sox number five home jersey for the rest of my life and I'll wear it proudly at various family gatherings. <laughs> But um, he doesn't. He doesn't quite make it. By the way, we are on pace for this to be a five-hour podcast. I just want you Maybe, to know that. Should it be a two-parter? Maybe we'll make it a two-parter. You can we, do one part tomorrow and one part on Wednesday when the ballot comes out. I think we should do that. We're going to have right. to. This is a two-parter, so we'll we'll go just a few more. Uh, Troy Gloss. I, let's not spend a lot of time on Troy Gloss. Superb power hitter. You probably saw him a lot with the Angels. 
Um, really, really a, a tremendous power hitter. Uh, not a Hall of Famer. No, not a Hall of Famer, but a great hitter. Like yeah. a, and a very good athlete. Um, played a surprisingly good third base, I think, for a few years. And but yeah, not not a Hall of Famer. Not a Hall of Famer. Uh, Ken Griffey. You know, I think obviously he's he's certainly a Hall of Famer, and I'd say the first twelve years of his career uh, was on pace to do insane things. And then second half of his career was, uh, you know, it was it was injury prone and not as good. And and uh, you know, he ended up with with uh, an amazing amazing career, but in some ways it felt a little disappointing because you know at age thirty he looked like he was going to break the home run record and do all of these other things. Fantastic player, so much fun to watch when he was young. Uh, just a joyous, joyous player to watch, and uh, should be unanimous. Won't be unanimous, but but one of I'd say in the last five years, I'd say Maddox, uh, Randy Johnson, Pedro, Griffey, um, all should have been unanimous, and uh, we're still fighting that battle where uh, some people just. Uh, don't want to uh, let anybody go in unanimously. Yeah, which is so dumb. Um, but yeah, there's no argument against Griffey at all. It is it is a little sad when you look out where when he started getting injured. It was right around the time he basically went back to Cincinnati. He started just getting hurt all the time, um, and it's a real bummer because you're right. He was on pace to just shatter every record. Do you remember the the days when like the biggest sort of moral um, argument that people made in baseball? Um, when the old men got angry, old white dudes got angry, it was that he wore his hat backwards when he took batting practice. <laughs> Remember those halcyon days when that was our biggest problem about baseball players? Um, I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. I mean, that is, it was, even then it was ridiculous, but now it seems even more ridiculous. Yeah, but aren't we fighting the same battle with like Cam Newton dances too much? I mean, it's like, it's like oh, yeah. old white people don't change. Like we're, we're, it, it, we're still, it was, it was, you know, before early on, it was like uh, mantle with his crazy switch hitting, you know? And then as time <laughs> goes on, it just, it gets dumber. Like, Oh, they're spiking the foot. What are these people insane? They're ruining the sport. And, and it just goes on and on. And, it doesn't get any smarter. It's like just as stupid. But you're right. I remember um, him actually doing a press conference uh, early. I mean, this probably was 92 or 93, doing a press conference with his hat backward at the All-Star game. And, like, that was the first question. It was something like, do you think it's a respectful for the game that you're wearing your hat backward? And, I mean, he just looked like we just don't even speak the same language, friend. I mean, it just – there's no – there's no answer to what you are saying because it is so ridiculous that I, but you know, that's, I don't think that's going to change. I, I just wonder like who, what the next thing is going to be. Cause I, I, I find the Cam Newton dancing thing to be incredibly stupid. That is that, that is the new one that is amazing. It's like that you're choosing to get upset about that is you just have a sad life. Like that's all yeah. the only conclusion I can come to, but you think about how much, even less kind of controversial wearing your hat backwards is. I mean, everybody wears their hats backwards. Kids, people wear their hats backwards. It happens. And, the, and there was a real panic. There was yeah. a genuine panic on the part of some old angry white dudes that he was like somehow harming the integrity of baseball, of the entire sport, of a hundred-year-old sport. He was harming the integrity of it. 
by wearing his hat backwards when he took batting practice, a thing no one cares about or ever really sees. It was really bizarre. And, and um, this will be his, his – um, <laughs> this is his revenge is he's going to get 99.38% of the vote and go into the Hall of Fame and none of that will matter. None of by it matters. Way, by the way, as, as someone who, who, as we have discussed, will vote for Bonds and, and Clements, maybe looking to see who was taking the horse steroids might have been more significant than the hat backward thing. I'm just <laughs> maybe, thinking for maybe. that time, maybe. Yeah, you know, maybe. By the way, I want to say one other thing about Griffey. Uh, I lived in Cincinnati for a time, and there was – this uh, this grocery store where I would my regular grocery store, there was an X in the parking lot and it was a ball that Griffey had hit in high school that had flown over the high school that was right there and it flown onto the parking lot um, in the in in the you know right there by the grocery store, uh, the Kroger. And so I would go there and I would see it and it was and, and the X was there and the coolest thing was like it was it was like in some kind of black marker kind of thing and like I, I can't remember if somebody had written Griffey or his number or something on it but like I would go back and I would go fairly often you know a couple times a, a year maybe and I would go back and every time like somebody had come by to like freshen it up to make sure that like it never went away I just thought that was so cool it's like sort of like the Joe DiMaggio putting flowers on Marilyn Monroe's grave kind of thing. Just yeah. like somebody wanted to be sure that for generations to come, they would be able to see where Ken Griffey Jr. had hit a home run when he was like 17 years old. I just thought that was like the coolest thing. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. Uh, Mark Rudzelanek, uh, I, I covered quite a bit. Uh, and, and I should say to Mark, Mark was a very good defensive player and a good hitter. He didn't walk, uh, He's responsible for two very cool things. One was when the Royals got Mark Rudzelanek, um, he was toward the end of his career, but he ended up having some very good seasons for the Royals. And I remember talking to the GM uh, at the time, which is Allard Baird, and I'd said to Allard, uh, you know, Mark Rudzelanek does pretty much everything well. Uh, he hits, he, he's a really, really good defensive player. He runs, uh, he's a good leader, he's all that. I said, if only he walked he'd be like an all-star because that's that was like the one thing that was prevent because his on-base percentages were very low because uh, he didn't walk. I said, if he walked, uh, that would be, you know, that would make him an all-star. And Allard said, if he walked, he wouldn't be playing here. So <laughs> <laughs> I always liked that. And then the second thing I liked about Mark Rutzelanek is uh, I had to make a conscious effort to learn how to spell his name properly. Sure. Uh, and he came at the same time as Doug, Doug Minkiewicz. And oh so... I can remember very specifically having to like memorize like, Oh wait, there's an I E after the Z. And, and like, I really had to like focus and memorize so I would get his name uh, spelled correctly. So th those, those are the two things I think of when I think of Mark Rudzelanek. Uh He did. He had a very good career. He had 2000 hits. He led the league in doubles one year. Very good, solid career. Good, good work. Good work, Mark. But the, my favorite thing about him by far is that for some reason, and I don't know why, Vin Scully pronounced his name really weirdly. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you, does this ring a bell? No. Probably not. Vin Scully pronounced his name Mark Grassalanic. <laughs> I, I, and when I heard him say it the first time, I thought like, oh, I guess it's, that's how you, you just trust Vin Scully. So I was sure. like, oh, that's how you pronounce it. It's Grassalanic. And then later people would say, no, it's Mark Grudzalanic. And I would say like, ah, uh -huh, no, it looks like Grudzalanic. <laughs> 
but it's grass alamic. And I've said it very confidently because that's how Vin Scully said it. And then later it's like, oh no, no, that's he was just wrong. That's not, that's not <laughs> his name. I don't this is a really obscure thing, obviously, but if anybody out there remembers can confirm that Vin Scully pronounced it grass alamic, please tweet at me or something just yeah. so I can know that I'm not crazy and I didn't hallucinate that. Yeah, I want to see the grass alamic uh hashtag. Um <laughs> And I want to see how people will spell it, too. Yeah, G-R-A-S-S is what I imagine. I'm thinking. I'm thinking so. All right, fine career. Fine career for him. Yeah. Uh, Mike Hampton, uh, almost nothing to say about Mike Hampton other than uh, he was a very good pitcher, and then he signed with Colorado at the absolute best time in the history of the world for a pitcher of his quality to sign with Colorado. And promptly just completely blew up and everybody thought he sucked. And then he left Colorado and he was like pretty good for like a few more years. And, and it's, it, to me, it's, you know, Bill James years and years and years ago, uh, sort of in, he didn't invent the idea of ballpark effects, but he sort of popularized it and explained to people what it meant. And even now there's great misunderstanding about that, but in it, it, it's fun that there was a period of time where, Mike Hampton would go to Colorado and they were like, you know what? He's going to be just as good here as he was, you know, in, with the Mets and with the Astros. And then he goes there and he's terrible. And they're like, well, what happened? I mean, he he's just not as good a pitcher. And it's like, no, he's exactly the same pitcher. He has not changed one bit. It is the circumstances around him that have changed. So, uh, yeah. but, but a fine career for Mike Hampton. All right. Guess within $5 million, guess how much money Mike Hampton made. Yeah, playing <sighs> majors. Yeah, just to give you some, he played 16 years, yeah. but he missed his age 33 and 34 years because he was injured. But he still got paid for. He still him. got paid for him. Yeah. yeah. So 16 well, years. Guess how much money? Try to get it within five million. No, I'm never going to come close. Okay, because that that deal that he signed with Colorado was gigantic. Um, I don't know, hundred. I'm going to go a hundred. He made 124.5 million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. Tom Brady will make nowhere near $124 million. Yeah, it's amazing. The other thing to say about him is that part of the reason that he signed, that Colorado signed into that deal was because they were like, he's a good hitter. He'll hit because we're in Colorado and he'll hit. But then they weren't thinking like, yeah, but he'll because he'll hit. That means everybody else will hit him. <laughs> and it, it's he has some really crazy numbers. And if they had been smart, which obviously they weren't, they would have looked the year that he kind of like set the world on fire, and I think was second in the Cy Young voting. He was twenty-two and four for the Astros in '99. He had one hundred and seventy-seven strikeouts in two hundred and thirty-nine innings, which is good, not amazing. He had one hundred and one walks. Yeah. He walked everyone. He had no control. There was a year in Colorado, his like second year in Colorado, he had seventy-four strikeouts and ninety-one walks. I mean, he he walked a ridiculous number of people, and why they ever gave him a hundred and whatever million it was. Uh, it was so insane. That's one of the worst. That'll go down as one of the worst deals. In oh, history. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's horrible. And it's exactly right. I mean, like the walks in a in a ballpark where, you know, a, a lot of walks in San Diego, it's not great, but you can live with it. I mean, every walk is a run in Colorado. I mean, it's just it's a horrendous, horrendous signing. All right. But it's but he was a good pitcher. Mike Hampton was a yeah. good pitcher. I think we should end it on this next one, because to me, this is going to be my my most controversial uh pick and that's Trevor Hoffman and and I'm just going to say this I'm just going to I'm going to be controversial uh I love Trevor Hoffman I really did I loved his career I loved watching him pitch one of the coolest things I ever saw 
was 98 when that Hell's Bells thing was brand new and they would play that and he'd come running out and I mean there was chills uh, it was how, how cool it was to see him running out and the crowd going crazy and Hell's Bells playing I, it was it's one of my favorite memories great great reliever uh, huge fan of Trevor Hoffman I don't get his Hall of Fame case at all I don't, I don't get it even a little bit uh, I know he has 600 saves and I'm more than happy to, to, you know, concede if you're a saves person, that's his case. And I get it. Trevor Hoffman to me is a very, very good relief pitcher in a era there where there are a dozen very, very good relief pitchers. Uh, to me, if you're going to get to the hall of fame as a reliever, as a closer, where you were only throwing 60 to 80 innings a year, you've got to be so good. You have to just be so dominant that that it's that it's very very clear you're a million times better than anybody else. In, in other words, to me, the only reliever of this era that I could see as a Hall of Famer is Mariano Rivera, because he was so much better than everyone else. He was so dominant in the in the postseason. He had such a huge impact on the game. Trevor Hoffman, to me, is uh, he's he's a better version of of. You know, he, he's Billy Wagner is on this ballot. To me, Billy Wagner was every bit the pitcher that Trevor Hoffman was. Uh, I think Jonathan Papelbon, uh, for the first part of his career, has been every pitcher that Trevor Hoffman is. Uh, I think uh, K. Rod, every bit as good as Trevor Hoffman is. I, I don't, I don't get it. He is going to get a huge percentage this year, and he is going to get elected in the Hall of Fame. And I'll be super happy for him because he seems like a great guy. But I'm just going to say it: I don't get it at all. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I mean, basically, I was going to try to discuss Trevor Hoffman with regards to Edgar Martinez. Yeah. Because there is a weird thing now where baseball has become so much more specialized. And people don't vote for Edgar Martinez because some of them, because they're like, well, he was only a DH. Right. And he only impacted one side of the game, which is insane. Because so do pitchers. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but I kind of feel like if you feel strongly that Trevor Hoffman should be in the Hall of Fame, you also have to feel strongly that Edgar Martinez should be in the Hall of Fame. Because Edgar Martinez was no less a specialty player than Trevor Hoffman was or that Bruce Suter was or that Mariano Rivera was at some level. Right. And, and Trevor Hoffman, you're right. Like He was an excellent relief pitcher who threw 60 to 80 innings a year and did his job really well. But at the end of whatever it was, 18 years, he had thrown a thousand innings. Right. And so a thousand innings of very good baseball, his whip was 1.05. He, you know, his, actually his fielding independent uh, number is 308, which isn't that great really for a reliever. It's pretty good, but it's like, but he, he did one thing. He did it very well, but it was a small thing. And the saves thing is garbage because if he came into a game where they were up five to two, and got three weak ground outs from the bottom third of an order, you get a save. That stinks, yeah. you know? And and so I, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't know how people are going to deal now that there's this glut of deserving candidates. How do you deal with closers? It's a very weird thing. And, and if you take the position that closers should be inducted into the Hall of Fame just based on how good of a closer they were, then you kind of have to do the same. You definitely have to do the same with DHs because it's it's a it's not directly analogous for many reasons. But he was a specialty guy, and his specialty he was very good at, 
And so if you say, oh, well, I think that's enough, then you also have to do the same for Edgar Martinez and, and David Ortiz, for that matter, and when he's eligible, and all these guys who are only DHs, because it's, they both had one thing. They all had one thing to do, and he did it well. So I, I would certainly wouldn't put him on a first ballot. I might, down the line, who knows how the world evolves and changes, but I don't think I would vote for him. Yeah, I, well, and your point about about uh, Edgar Martinez is 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 definitely valid. Um, in in the, I don't think you can make an argument looking at their numbers that Trevor Hoffman was in any way more valuable in his role than Edgar Martinez. Edgar Martinez was much more valuable as a player. But the one that really bothers me is uh, the people who are voting for Trevor Hoffman and not voting for Kurt Schilling or Mike Mussina. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, you can, yeah. you cannot tell me Trevor Hoffman was a better pitcher than Kurt Schilling. Uh, you might you might despise Kurt Schilling for for very valid reasons, but you cannot tell me that Trevor Hoffman was anywhere close to the pitcher that Kurt Schilling was. Kurt Schilling, his career is he had threw three times as many innings. He was every bit as dominant, if not more dominant, over all of those innings, and 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 was dominant to the postseason. This is. This is, it's, it's, it's to me, it's, it's one of those things about statistics and, and baseball that I love, which is that if you move things around a little bit, you can sort of make two things look alike that are nothing alike or make two things, you know, you, you're comparing him to closers and you're comparing Schilling to, to starters. And because of that, no, compare them to each other. Uh, it's a joke in my opinion. And again, I think Trevor Edmond was a tremendous pitcher and he was a tremendous closer, but Trevor Hoffman could not have been an effective starter. Nobody thought he could have been an effective starter. If Kurt Schilling had been made a closer, he would have been an unbelievably dominant closer. Nobody could ever argue that point. So I hate that. I, I really don't. I think it should be, I look at, at closers the way I look at kickers in the NFL in this way. If you so dominated the position that you sort of change the game in a ways that nobody else did, then you should be in the hall of fame. And that's why I will vote for Mariano Rivera. I, I believe Mariano Rivera is like that. Otherwise, if you're just moderately better, maybe than, than Billy Wagner, I'm not voting for Billy Wagner and Trevor Hoffman for the hall of fame. I just, and, and those guys are only moderately better if better than, than a half dozen other guys. So yeah, I, I, like I say, I, I, you know, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm insulting Trevor Hoffman, even though it does sound that way. I, I think he was a tremendous player, and I loved watching him pitch. But he's not a Hall of Famer for me. Well, I agree. Are we going to leave it there? Is that part end of part one? Let's end part one right there so we can have our draft, because otherwise we'll never get our draft in. Well, let me just say then, tune in for part two, because next on the list is Jason Kendall, and we are going to get into it Oh, about Jason Kendall. Let me just tell you right now, uh, I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to ruin it. No, don't, don't spoil your incredibly – I've heard Joe's opinions on Jason Kendall, and they are con controversial. Well, I mean, Mike Lowell's not far away, buddy, so <laughs> just watch out. All right, so let's let's go to our uh, – uh, by the way, I, lo I love that we're just changing this on the fly. We're just like, yeah, let's, let's do this as a two-part thing. Yeah, um, so let's go to our, our draft, and, and really the whole point of this of this podcast, uh, you know, I'm glad we were able to get in the Hall of Fame, but this really originally was just going to be a Star Wars emergency 
podcast uh, right. because we both are so excited uh, about the new Star Wars being out and all that. So in honor of the new Star Wars, we are going to draft uh, movie franchises. That is that is our draft. Right. Uh, that's all we've said. We even even we have not even discussed what is a movie franchise. Uh, nope. You you have a better sense of that than I do. Um, but I'm going to take the first pick uh, because uh, because I, I need that advantage. And um, and I'm going to take Star Wars because that's that's the reason we're doing the draft. Uh, the Star Wars franchise, despite the absolute horror of of the the three prequels that I still am not willing to admit existed or ever happened. Uh, despite that, that, that mix is so fantastic and so great. And I'm so in love with the new Star Wars and we're going to be careful not to give any spoilers out other than to say, for me, it brought back all of the magic that I felt the first time that I saw the Star Wars movies and, and brought back, you know, and, and it reminded me that it's not about the intricacy of the plot or the, or the detail of the special effects, although obviously those are great. Um, or even the acting or the, the great characters or any of that stuff, even though I think, uh, that the characters were actually better and the acting was better in this than, than in any of the original star Wars, even despite all of that, it's like, there's this, there's this thing that star Wars was able to touch, uh, inside of, of, of people, even people who are not huge, uh, sci-fi people like me, there's a, there's an adventure and and well drawn out characters that are that are striving for something and the pure good and pure bad. Uh, I, I just love that so much. And uh, it, to me, there's no question Star Wars is the number one movie franchise. Yeah, it's the right choice. It would have been my first pick too. I mean, I, I also would add that it, you know if there's a criticism, a valid criticism in my opinion of the of the new one. It's that it maybe relies a little heavily on the past. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> Not as sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know, visionary or inventive in terms of its world building and its technology and stuff as the as you know the the prequels, which were mostly garbage. Um, they, they he was trying. Lucas was sure. trying to do new stuff. Um, he was a visionary whose vision got a little fuzzy. <laughs> um, and this and and the new movie has has decidedly less of that. A lot of the Planets are very similar to old planets. The ships are the same. The plot is sort of the same. But if you extrapolate out from now, the new characters are great. great. And the actors who play them are great. And it bodes extremely well. Ryan Johnson is directing the second, I think, and third, who's a, a really great director. Um, and I think that there's a the, the future, the, the trend is hugely upwards for the franchise. So given what's already happened in it, and then also what the future bodes, I think it's easily the greatest movie franchise of all time. Yeah, uh, so it, yeah. it's the right. And by the way, I, I just want to say it. I know you've already kind of uh, done a little Twitter rant on this. Um, yeah. Ray is uh, my favorite character in all the Star Wars movies already, just based on yeah. one episode. Uh, and and it, partly for exactly what you're saying, because of the the promise of what of what she can be and what she is becoming and 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 her sort of uh inability to quite fathom what she's becoming and all of that but there's just a depth and maybe it's the acting maybe it's maybe it's just that the directing is a little bit different or whatever um but there's a there's a depth to that character and a depth to to Finn I will add uh, as well but a depth to that character that to me is 
really, really exciting and, and, and cool. And, and I think that's really what hurt the, the original, uh, the prequels in addition to the horrendous acting and, and sort of miscast people and, and bad plots and all the other things that were wrong with it. Um, there was no character to fall in love with. There was no character to like kind of just feel really connected to. Uh, you knew where they were going. You knew where it was going to end up anyway. Here, it, it feels so much more like open road. And I, I just think she's a fantastic character. I agree to- wholeheartedly. And, and, and in order to spare people another 40 minutes of this, I won't, <laughs> I won't rehash my Twitter rant <laughs> about Ray and the criticisms of her character, which I think were mostly garbage. Um, with Star Wars off the board, I am going to go Godfather. That's uh, my yes. pick. Um, the first Both of those movies were great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first two are, are like two of the greatest movies ever. The third one is maybe not as great. But <laughs> it, 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 the number of great actors who were doing their best work in those movies is significant. It's maybe the best that Al Pacino ever was. It's maybe the best that, that Brando ever was, which is saying something in the first one. Even De Niro, who doesn't even speak English in the second movie, he's uh, is amazing, and they're they've been ripped off and and stolen from so many times at this point that they now seem themselves like they are ripoffs of something, but they weren't. They were the originals, and the everything about them, the world and the acting and the directing and the story, is so beautiful and powerful. The number of times that something occurs in life or in other movies where you end up comparing it to The Godfather uh, is massive. Um, Bill Simmons could probably <laughs> talk about that for a while. But, I mean, it, it really for the first two, obviously, in the franchise. But overall, I feel like it's, um, in terms of things like acting and story, it's hard, tough to beat. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's it's absolutely brilliant. And and there are two the the two movies. I you know that's one I do joke that there was there was never was a third. But even the third had some good actors in it and some you know I'm not going to say redeeming qualities, but you know some qualities that that make it better than say the prequels of Star Wars. Um, you know the acting in it is so great. The the characters are so great. The thing that strikes me about Godfather particularly, and then Godfather 2, of course, carries on from there brilliantly, is that you meet so many people in The Godfather. I mean, there are just so many characters coming at you. I mean, you get The Godfather and all three of the kids and, 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 and you know, the, the, the people who are trying to kill The Godfather and, and, uh, and, you know, the women involved in the various places. And there's so many different characters flying at you from all directions. And at the end of the movie, and it's, it's a longer movie, but at the end of the movie you really feel like you've gotten the essence of like all of them. And, and yeah. that's, that's stunning. If you think about it, I mean, you know, you and I in, in different ways have tried to, you know, we know as writers, you're trying to like get people to know one person or two people, you know, and, and you in a sitcom, I mean, you're, you're trying to get them to know everybody, but you, you have to do it over many different, you know, episodes and give each pe- person his own space and all that to do that in one movie where, I think you come out knowing Santino as well as you come out knowing Michael, as well as you come out knowing uh, uh, the Godfather himself. And I, I think that's brilliant. I think that's what it's brilliant about it is that there's nothing confusing about who these people are at the end of the movie. And, and I think that's, I don't think there's another movie quite like it. Yeah, I agree. All right. So uh, Godfather off the board. Very, very good. I'm going to go, um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a stretch. I feel like I can go a little bit with a reach since I got Star Wars in the first um in the first pick. Um I'm gonna go with sort of the incredibly wildly all over the place uh franchise that is the the James Bond movies. Um I don't really there there are very few James Bond movies that I like in and of themselves, like one movie. Like I like I do like uh, you know, Goldfinger. Uh, there are a couple of others. Some of the newer ones are, are interesting, but I love the concept of Bond. I love the concept of this guy who's like, you know, he's, he's been portrayed so many different ways, but you know, the one I like is the sort of the kind of cruel guy who, who really is obviously a horrible womanizer, uh, who basically just gets by on like a little bit of wit and like, insane amounts of luck, just extraordinary luck and just the incompetence of the bad guys. I just think that's such a cool, fun genre in and of itself. And there's so many different ways you can bring it to, to the audience. Uh, I'm a Bond fan, even if I'm not like a fan of any of the movies in and of themselves specifically. So it's, that's, that's, that hurts me because none of the movies are really, I wouldn't call any, even the ones I really like, great movies but i think as a franchise and as an idea I, I like the bond movies so just to be clear your second pick in this draft is a franchise <laughs> where you don't like any of the movies i didn't say i don't like any movies i you like know, a lot of the movies you absolutely said <laughs> that you actually don't like any of the movies Lo all right well I, I take change like to love i i don't love any of the movies this is a huge reach. You're really blowing this. You had Star Wars. You had you could coast to a victory, and you've blown it. Because the problem with James Bond is that the movies are essentially indistinguishable. The, none of them feels like. Think about how excited you were to see a new Star Wars movie, and think about how kind of like blah you are to see a new James Bond movie. It's like, oh, if I have an evening free and a babysitter, yeah, I guess I'll go check that out because you know you're going to be sort of like mildly entertained for two hours. But it, it's like the, the that's the problem with the franchise. They, they don't the movies don't age well at all. They don't have a like a lasting. You don't remember. I, if I gave if I offered you a million dollars, you couldn't tell me the difference in the plots of any of the last three <laughs> Bond movies or any of the last 20 Bond movies. You can't. It's all the same thing. It's a bad guy wants to blow up the world and then he runs around and drinks a martini and, and goes in a submarine and skis down a mountain. It's like not, the movies themselves, you nailed it. You accidentally nailed it. The movies themselves aren't that good. And they're, they're perfectly entertaining. But you don't remember anything from any of them. You might remember one thing from a Bond movie you saw like, like when you were 20 or when you were 15 or something. But you can't tell me any of the – tell me the right now, tell me the plot of any of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies, any of them. Well, they're all the same. They all they have the same plot. Your point is 100% right. Tell they're me one thing about a, one of the Pierce. Uh, there's some bad, like guy, bad guy's trying to destroy the world. I know that. I did. That's, somebody's trying to destroy the world. But but you're also missing the point about the Bond movies. I don't think the Bond movies are shooting for for that uh, specific type of thing. The, the Bond movies are, to me, uh, here, here you, you talk about, you know, not being excited about a new Bond movie. There've been a thousand. There've been like 20 Bond movies. Nice. There've been like, there've been like five different people who have played Bond. And it's because of the power of that character. You can't, I, I wasn't excited to see the original Star Wars, uh, the, the, uh, the prequels. I wasn't excited to see, 
uh, the Godfather three, th those, th there was a, like an expiration date, even for some of the greatest franchises, but there's like no expiration date for bond. It's like universal because that character in and of himself is always entertaining to watch, uh, no matter who's playing him. And you want to see how different people, I would love to see, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce it. Idris, Idris Elba, uh, play bond. I would love to see what he could do with bond I, to me there's still stuff there in that character that make it entertaining. That's why I think it's a great franchise. I mean, what, I'm say, what I'm saying is that if this draft were best characters in franchises, maybe, that's what maybe, I see it as. Uh, <laughs> you really, you've blown this terrible. That was Johnny Menzel. You just picked Johnny Menzel. Um, all right. I now have my pick of the litter here. What am I going to do? Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to save, what I think should be my second pick, because I think it'll still be there for my third pick. I'm going to go Toy Story. Um, Toy Story is the first movie franchise that kids and grown-ups like at the same level and for different reasons. Every one of the movies actually, I, in my opinion, gets better. They get better as they go along, and they started off great. Um, and it was the first time that Pixar just really nailed what its brand was, I think. It's the first time that they they really kind of just nailed the tone and the feel of their movies. Every, all three of them will make you cry at the end. Well, two less so, but certainly one and three. And in the third one, when the toys are, spoiler alert, uh, heading down towards an incinerator and they all hold hands because they feel like they're going to die, it's one of the most moving things I've ever seen in a movie, and it made me cry like a baby. Uh, and it... Like it's the perfect amount of like you're. It's like kids are growing up with them in the perfect way, and I I am just very impressed by them. The writing of them and the the voice acting in them is great, and the look of them is great, and the and the sort of themes and stories that they built, um, I think are all wonderful. So I'm going Toy Story too. Yeah, it's it's a great pick. It's a great pick. Um, I will say this though about Toy Story, and, and this surprises me. Uh, my kids don't love them that much. They don't love them. They like them. They're okay. They don't like three. Uh, I think three is much more of an adult movie than it is a kid movie, um, which is interesting. It's funny you should say that because I thought you were going to say the, the part at the end of Toy Story 3 where he he ends up giving the toys to the little girl. Spoiler alert. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's insane. The coda. Oh. Then, when you realize that, that the, that the grownups were the ones who were who were being like played with the whole time. It wasn't the toys. And that like, that's the story of the movies. I mean, that's insane. That's such a beautiful piece of writing. It's beautiful. Just yeah, beautiful. It, it's just a, it, it, like you get the emotional ending with the toys and then you get the emotional ending with Andy, which is like not at all expected. You weren't expecting to get like a double punch in the nose. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful little code. Oh, there. it's fantastic. Fantastic. Toy Story, great, great pick. I'm, I'm not going to rip your picks like you do for me. Uh, great pick. Uh, I'm going with my third pick. I'm going with what I really wanted to go with my second pick. Uh, and uh, I know where I think you're going with the third pick. And honestly, I can tell you right now, you, you, I'm not picking it. So you can, you can go all the way down. You can take it with your fifth pick because I can tell you right now, I'm not picking what you're going to pick next. Um, I'm going to go with Indiana Jones as the, as my third pick. Uh, fantastic. You know, again, it, it really trailed off very badly at the end. Uh, don't necessarily concede that there was a fourth movie. Um, but the first three, uh, you know, it, it, to me, it followed a little bit of that star Wars trajectory. The second one was kind of, uh, a little bit tougher to, uh, love and, and I didn't love it uh, at the time. 
appreciate it now. Third one is super fun, kind of silly. First one is an absolute masterpiece. Uh, the character of Indiana Jones is so great. All of his little side characters are great. There's a little bit of a James Bond thing going there with him too, uh, which I love. Uh, I think it's snappy. I think it's fun. Uh, I remember the first time I saw uh, the original uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and it was mind-blowing. I mean, you know, especially at the time, it's hard to recapture that, but it was, I'd never seen a movie before where you are on edge literally every second of the entire movie. I uh, thought it was brilliant then. Love it every bit as much now. Um, so my third pick, Indiana Jones. Uh, well, let me just tell you that that was going to be my third Oh, pick. okay. So, All right. Well, I have a, a different okay. thought. Now, now you're you're doing mind games now because now <laughs> I don't know what you thought I was going to pick. But yeah, Indiana, Indiana Jones is going to be my third pick. It, um, the first one is, is essentially a perfect movie yes. in my opinion. I really dislike Temple of Doom greatly. Yeah. I think Temple of Doom is mostly garbage. But Last Crusade is hugely underrated. I think Last Crusade is great. Yeah. Like, I, I really do. I think it's a really great movie and, like, resurrected that franchise. Crystal Skull, I, it, it never happened. That never <laughs> happened. It's, we can all just agree that that never happened. Um, but the first and third movies of that franchise are, are like, wonderful movies. And they're funny. Yes. And the character is great. It's such a great idea for a character. Um, yeah, that was going to be my third pick because that's one of the greatest, that's one of the greatest, like, characters. That, Indiana Jones is so much of a better character than James Bond. Like, so much better, in my opinion. It probably so, is. I, I, I could see the argument. I, I really, I really wanted to get those two. So I, I, what order I took them in is not relevant. I'm angry at you because you picked Johnny Manziel at number two and then got Antonio Brown at number three. So I don't know what to do now. I guess I'm going to go... Oh boy, I'll go. Um, I'll go. Lord of the Rings. There you go. That was the one I thought you were taking. I'm not happy with it. Um, the they're 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 really long. Those movies. <laughs> they're extremely long. The third movie has like 15 endings, um, and by the time the 15th ending actually ends, you're exhausted. But it's such a beautiful rendering of a of source material. It's like Peter Jackson cared so much about those books. And did so many things right and so many things well. And the overall story of them, I mean, it's not, I'm a little surprised they did as well as they did because you really have to care about the quest in order to tough it out. Like, I think there were a lot of people who watched the first movie and about two hours in were like, oh, he's nowhere near the, <laughs> he's nowhere near Mount Doom. Like, we're not, <laughs> we're not getting to Mount Doom uh, anywhere anytime soon. And you really have to, you really have to care about the characters in order to make it work for three movies. And he does. And it's a, it's just a gorgeous, um, I'm not sure how well they'll hold up, but it's, they looked gorgeous. They, the, the central themes are great. The sort of political allegories are great. So I'll go Lord of the Rings three. Yeah. I'm not, I wish I had Indiana Jones, but uh, I'll take Lord of the Rings. Well, that was the one I thought you were going to go with. And as I say, we could have, this thing could have gone 200 franchises deep and I would not have taken Lord of the Rings. And that's, that's, it's a personal, we've, we've, we've been over this before. It's a personal preference. Yeah. I, I don't, I never liked the books, never read them. Uh, don't care. I think I, I saw, it wasn't two hours. It was 10 minutes into the first movie. Uh, when I turned to, to, to my wife and said, uh, so what's the deal with the ring? What's the story? And that was, that was it. I was, I was completely gone. So I've never seen them and, and never will. Uh, I, but I believe they're very well made. I just don't, it's it. That's not for me. So they're all yours. And I'm very happy to have bond. Let's just put it that way. Um, 
with my fourth pick, so many good ones on the board, and, and I'm really torn between a couple of different ones. But <clears throat> I promised my daughter when I told her what we were doing uh, that I would take, even though it's a very flawed pick. I'm saying that up front. Uh, I'm going to take the Matrix movies uh, basically just for the first one because the second and third were the second one was like not that great and the third one was an abomination so uh so i'm really not getting a franchise i'm kind of getting one and a half movies but the first movie was so uh to me it was revolutionary it was mind twisting which i love uh the the special effects were unlike anything i'd ever seen uh the characters were even though um you know, even though, like I say, they didn't really stretch on into the later movies, they were really beautifully sketched out. I think you felt like you knew them. There was good and bad, which I really like. So love the Matrix, <clears throat> loved sort of the idea of the second one, the whole notion of him having to go back to the source. Uh, third one had no use for it all. Uh, but still, in all in all, and and my daughter just saw it for the first time, and it is her favorite movie, and she, she had her mind blown, and it was incredibly cool to watch her watch the matrix for the first time and sort of figure out what's going on and what the world is and, and all of that. Uh, very, very cool. So, um, I'm going to go with the matrix, uh, with, with reservations. Yeah. You're, you're really buying one movie because <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what you, what you're doing by choosing the matrix as a movie franchise is, is what a baseball GM does when he signs like a 32 year old, <laughs> Albert Pujols to a 10-year deal. It's like you're, you're paying all of your money for the first year, basically, uh, or the first two years. Um, I kind of get it. It was on my board of things I might pick if I had to, but it really is only that first movie it because almost, almost instantly the second movie um, becomes a weird, like, Bacardi ad <laughs> where they're, like, there's, like, a rave and a cave in slow motion and, and like, a lot of, like, super sexy multicultural people are like raving and dancing and sweating. And it's it instantly was like, Oh, this has gone way off the rails. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I guess I sort of see it, but I don't know. I feel like the matrix was going to be available as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, free it probably was. It probably um, was. I, n all of these, all of these picks have flaws. I, I guess I'll go, um, since you took the matrix, I'll, I'll choose the born franchise. It's a little controversial for the same reason, but the first three Bourne movies, the Paul Greengrass, Matt Damon movies, were so good. I'm a little bit contradicting myself here because I can't really explain the plots of any of them <laughs> any better than you could explain the plots of the James Bond movies. But the experience of watching them, I, I, had, I had this conversation with my friend Nick when the third one came out, where basically we said, like, if one of those movies came out every year, it would just be so great. Like the, and it doesn't even matter like what the specifics are, but like watching that guy and the way those movies were shot and edited and acted, I would watch happily watch one of them a year for the rest of my life because they were just so entertaining and so enjoyable, and the and the kind of like like mood of them was so fun, and there was so little dialogue like they like talking talking didn't matter. It was just about the look of them and the and the way they were directed and edited. I thought was so great. So I know it's a stretch. I'm aware of that, but I'll choose Born at Four. I, I, you know, look, I took Bond at two. I, I get it. I get you. You're picking a character. You're picking Jason Bourne and the way those movies were made because it does sort of die out a little bit after that. Um, yeah. 
But I, I agree, super entertaining movies uh, in their own right, built around a great character, which to me, that's what a franchise is. Um, so with my fifth pick, um, I am going to, I, I really have like about 12 different ones underlined, and I'm going to go with one, and this is, this is even more, I'm going with my most controversial one, because to me, there were probably in the series movies that I actually liked, maybe two of them, but... Because of what they represent and what they've represented to my family and, and my kids and everything, I'm going to go with the Harry Potter uh, ones for, for that. Even though, honestly, even the movies that got critical acclaim, like Seven, I had no use for at all. I, I, I Maybe it's because I so loved the books and reading them to the girls and, and following them along. I thought the first one was fantastic. Totally caught the magic of the books. Uh, I thought the third one was fantastic and, and, and caught the magic of the books. And I kind of didn't really like any of the other ones, but I still like the idea of them coming out. If another Harry Potter movie came out, if, they, if they, that was somehow sanctioned, uh, I would be first in line to see it. Uh, so love the Harry Potter series so much that I'm kind of really voting for the book because I don't think the movies were that great, but I, I'm going to vote for the for, for Harry Potter. Yeah, all right. <laughs> to me they're like they're, they were too concerned with making sure that the fanatical book readers didn't get upset right and, and which I understand like that's a, that's a totally correct business and maybe even artistic choice for that franchise but I just I read all the books I never felt the real need to see the movies I was kind of like you know my kids were too young and I was like yeah, I don't know well, I guess I'll see them well, so I, I I get it. It's a it's fine. It's a you know they're popular films. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and and they're not great. And and you know, but but I think actually in trying to make them like super close to the book, they they really hampered themselves a lot for those movies because uh, they what they ended up doing was cutting out a lot of the really cool parts of the book uh, as they have to do in a movie and doing trying to make other things. I, I honestly, and I have friends who have seen the movies that have never read any of the books, and they seem to follow the action. I honestly, to me, if you didn't read the books, I don't see how you would even understand what's going on in almost any of them. Uh, yeah. Like, the first one is is a good movie, I think, that stands on its own. But, like, six and seven, I, I to me, if you were if you had not read the books, you'd just be sitting there going, what? Like, who is that? And why? So... I don't think they're great movies, but I do like the franchise, so it doesn't matter. It's my fifth pick. Um, well, most of the rest of the options here are real are the same as the Matrix. It's like there's one great right. one, and then the rest of them are kind of junky. Um, and I'll, I'm almost going to pick at random just to just to balance out. I, I'm a little serious. My 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 series my franchise are a little bit serious, so I'm going to take and this is a real reach, but I'll take Back to the Future. Really, only for the first one. The first Back to the Future movie is essentially perfect from a screenwriting standpoint, and from a performance standpoint, and from like a everything standpoint. It's a perfect movie. There's like five perfect movies, and Back to the Future is one of the most perfect movies. And and so even the second one and third one are okay. They have some good things in them. They're mostly not that interesting to me. They have cool ideas. Um, but they're but they're not great. But the first one is so good, and I have such a fondness in my heart for it. And it's a movie where sometimes when I'm having problems writing, 
I'll, I have a copy of the screenplay and I'll dig it out and just read it to remind myself what a good screenplay is supposed to look like. <laughs> um, so it's a huge stretch uh, and there's certainly better choices in terms of the idea of a franchise. But um, just for that reason, I'm going to pick Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I mean, the, the, I agree with everything you said, including the fact that two and three. He, here's Here's why I would not have picked it, though, is to me, two and three never should have happened. And I, I don't mean because they were bad movies. I mean, they were fine. But the movie should have ended where it ended. Like, Back yeah. to the Future should have ended with them going to the future uh, and, like, oh, your kids, and then you never know what happens. Like, that's that's how that movie should have ended. That's and- true for a lot of... That's true for a lot of part ones, though. That's the thing. It's like, if you think about... Like, Die Hard. Think about Die Hard. Yeah. Well, like, Die Hard, which, which was on the board for me, which I could have chosen uh, instead of Back to the Future. Like, the first Die Hard is a perfect movie. And if that was the last you ever saw of John McClane, you would have been perfectly happy. Yes. And it's not that the... You know, there's some... Uh, two is okay. Three has some good stuff in it, and he and... Samuel L. Jackson have good like chem- buddy chemistry. The rest of them are insane, and he's now just a, he's now just Captain America. Like he now like he, the Die Hard movies are unrecognizable. It's like a guy. I wrote a thing on the Office about this a, a long time ago when that Michael Scott complained about this, where it's like now he's just a superhero. He just jumps off of like fighter jets onto other fighter jets, and then like rips open the cockpit and punches out the pilot takes control of the fighter jet and shoots down the bad guy helicopters. It's just insane. It's not the whole point of that franchise is that he was just a cop who was in a tough situation. So you would be, it would have been better if the diehard franchise had never been made because the first one is perfect and the others are like lesser sort of retreads. So like that, if you start getting into that, then it's like, well, you know, the same could certainly be said of the matrix, for example, the same could be said of, I I would argue, and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. I would argue the same could be said of Rocky. That if you that if Rocky had ended after one, I would have been fine with it. Um, I don't know. I, I, same with Alien. That was another one that's out oh, there. Oh yeah, Alien for sure. Like, Although yeah, Aliens like, was a good movie. It yeah. was a good movie, but also it didn't. It wasn't like it dying to be told. You know, like it, okay. the Lord of the Rings trilogy had to be three movies: the Alien, Aliens, Alien Resurrection, whatever they are. They're all fine, but the first one was was amazing. You know. All right, all right so well, that's part one. That's part one. So tune in tomorrow. Uh, for part two, and uh, and here Joe's Joe's insane take on Jason Kendall. I, I when I get to uh, well, I don't even want to talk about Randy Wynn. I mean, come <laughs> on, this just crazy. So uh, until tomorrow, thank you. All right. <laughs>